If you did, then keep that one. Yeah. That font's small, though. All the good font Bibles have been disappearing. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I warned you guys though about ripping those off, man. Want <laughs> to take one and get one of the El Cheapos? No. No, if you don't have a Bible, listen, if that's, feel free to take that. That's a gift to you from the Lord if you don't own a Bible. We want everybody to have God's word Amen. in their hands and especially in our hearts as well. So let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful. Um, to be your children. What a privilege. What a blessing to be a family. No other family like it. Blood bought by you. Your precious blood shed that we might be redeemed and set free. And you've lavished us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies and giving us, you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We have the hope of heaven. You've given us so much by your grace. and We just we want to say thank you this morning. We've come to, uh, to celebrate you, Jesus, to honor you. And now as we settle our hearts before you, as we open your word, that you would speak to each one of us individually, corporately. We need to hear your voice and to experience a fresh work of your spirit this morning. And so we thank you ahead of time for the great things that you are going to do by your grace and for your glory. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, your precious and holy name that we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. We are in a, uh, we're kind of in a challenging section of scripture this morning as we work our way through. Um, lots of different uh, interpretations and opinions. And I'm going to give you the right one because I got the microphone this morning. <laughs> Just kidding. We're going to try to work our way through this. You know, it was sometimes when you're teaching, I shared this with someone after service. They were like, man, that was, you know, good Bible study. I'm just like, praise the Lord. And and I told him, I said, it's, it was one of those services where as a pastor, you, want, you wish there was like a little ejection button so you could just kind of fly out of here because you're just like mud bogging, trying to get through the Bible study. And then a young lady got saved and it was like, it's all worth it, Lord. It's your word, a work of your spirit. But I want to remind us there's, some, there's a certain number of things, takeaways this morning that we must have ears to hear what the spirit is saying to each one of us this morning. And, and by way of reminder, we are finally getting to the end of the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 19 will mark that end with the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth to set up his kingdom. And then the millennial reign of Christ will follow after that. If you are coming Wednesday night or listening to the Bible studies from Wednesday night, we are learning about the millennial kingdom, and it is going to be awesome. In the book of Isaiah, if you were here Wednesday, it was epic. 
to learn about what that's going to look like, and we're going to be a part of that kingdom with our Lord Jesus Christ. But we're still kind of working our way towards the end of this seven-year period known as the tribulation. Um, It's seven years, and I do not believe, again, that we, the bride of Christ, the church, will be here at all during that time period. In fact, Jesus gave us um, a number of promises concerning that, that we are not appointed unto wrath, that Jesus said that he will keep um, his church from the very hour of trial that will come upon the entire world. How will he do that? He's going to come and we're going to be raptured. We're going to be caught up to be with him in the Father's house to the place that he's preparing for you and I right now. Jesus promised it and I'm called as a minister. We're called as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to comfort one another with those words, to, to remind one another, Maranatha, Jesus is coming. He's coming for us. And every time, listen, every time we take communion, the Apostle Paul said, every time you take the Lord's Supper, you are proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. I'm saying, Lord Jesus came for me and he's coming back for me. I'm looking forward to that. And so the church gets taken out before the seven-year period at some point, and then it's the Antichrist who arises on the scene to, to make some kind of covenant, Daniel 9 teaches us, that he makes some kind of covenant or peace treaty seven years with many of the Jews in Israel. Halfway through that seven-year period, he will break the covenant. We're going to talk about this in just a little while. He will proclaim himself to be God. He will go into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, stop the sacrifices and offerings, and this one-world dictatorship will be set up He will require people to worship him, require people, if they want to buy and sell, to take his mark as well. And so it's going to be a super gnarly time on planet Earth. Along with that, God is judging planet Earth. Before Jesus can bring the beauty of heaven to Earth, there's going to be some pain and some suffering involved. And so we see that. The seven seal judgments, you all remember that? You guys remember that? Seven seal judgments? Seven trumpet judgments? Seven bowl judgments. That's right. And uh, during the seventh bowl judgment, we see that Babylon is judged. And now in chapter 17 and 18, we've hit a, a pause, an intermission, a parenthetical break where we are given more information concerning Babylon and the judgment that will come upon Babylon. And listen, Babylon is hard to define, by the way. It is a location, it is a city, it's a place. Um, Not only that, it seems to be some type of false religious system that began, which we'll look at in Genesis chapter 10 in a little while, um, began all the way back in the book of Genesis after the flood that's continued on throughout history, this false religious system that will escalate and become uh, out of control during the tribulation period. And then ultimately it will be judged. Babylon will be judged. But Babylon has affected and infected countless numbers of people over, over the centuries, over the years. And so we'll learn a little bit more about that. I think the thing to remember is, is that we don't want to be associated with Babylon at all. We want to stay as close to Jesus as possible. We want to put our faith and trust fully, rely fully in him and upon his word, um, and nothing else that would sway us or pull us away from Jesus. And so um, chapter 17, where do we leave off? 
Verse 7. Good. Let's move back to verse 1. Here we go. You ready? I, I want to get a running start and just kind of a, we need this reminder, I think. Verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, who's he talking to, by the way? Who's the angel talking to? John the Apostle. And the angel says to him, come, I will show you, notice this, the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. And so we're going to identify the harlot, this great harlot. And again, uh, this, 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 the verbiage that's used is meant to get our attention. This great prostitute, this great whore, um, God wants us to recognize how deadly and dangerous Babylon is by the words that he's using. This great harlot um, is going to, he's going to show him the judgment that will come upon the great harlot who sits on many waters. If you're taking notes, we're going to get there later. In verse 15, we're told what the waters are. The angel will tell John, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And so what we recognize about Babylon, this great harlot, is that she has influence globally and impact globally. All these different people groups, she is affecting and infecting powerful, influential control over a lot of people, kings and kingdoms, we'll see in just a moment, and especially in the last days, she has global influence and power. The point is, she will be judged. Notice in verse 2, we're told more about her, who she connects with, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And so again, Babylon personified as a woman and getting involved with leaders and also people as well. And notice that word fornication. In the Bible, fornication or sexual immorality speaks of physical um, immorality or fornication, but it also speaks of spiritual immorality or spiritual fornication. When uh, someone that perhaps names the name of the Lord but turns their back on God and gets involved with idolatry. In fact, God warned his people throughout the entire Old Testament not to be engaged in idolatry. He views idolatry as spiritual immorality or spiritual fornication. That's the picture here. She has this influence of taking people away from Jesus into the worship of idols, false gods, the worship of material things, anything created, she's trying to sway people away from. And so uh, we learn that Babylon is reflected in a false religious system, leading men and women away from Jesus and into the worship of other stuff. In fact, notice what else is, uh, it says there. The people of the earth are made drunk. She intoxicates people. In other words, when you're, when you're drunk, what happens? You get a distorted view of reality, right? You get, your bearings are all off. That's what can happen spiritually. Again, when you leave Jesus, you depart from a, from a, a relationship with him, or, or you say, I don't want Jesus, I'm going to get involved in some other religious system, or some other type of spiritual worship, or whatever, what begins to happen is your bearings are off. You're going in the wrong direction. In fact, Jesus said, broad is the way 
that leads to destruction. And there are many who go that way, but narrow is the way, right, that leads to life. And there are very few who find it difficult is the way and the gate that leads to life. Because Jesus said, I'm not one of many ways. He said, I am the way. He said, he said there is no other way except through him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He made it real clear. He said, I'm the door, not one of many doors. Take your pick. He said, I am the door. I am the way, the only way. And so there'll be many people that say, oh, there's many ways to get to heaven. And we know what Jesus said. We trust in his word. And so in the last days, check it out, in the last days, it seems that there's going to be a unification of false religion and an amalgamation of all kinds of religious groups and institutions. I, I, I believe that because um, she sits on many waters. Um, remember where it says that in verse 1, the great harlot sits on many waters, all these different people groups. So she sits on not just one region or not just one religion, not just one group, not just one institution, but all brought together under one roof, under her influence, under her control. I think it speaks of a one world religious system that will dominate the globe in the last days. And so notice what happens next with me. So now the angel's going to take John to see what this is all about. So he, the angel, carried me away in the spirit, where? Into the wilderness. So John gets some supernatural transportation into this desolate, dry place. And notice what he sees. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. And so what does John see? He sees this woman, which we're going to find out in a minute, is Babylon. We haven't learned her name yet. We're going to find out in a minute. So this woman is riding the beast. She's sitting on top of this beast. We learned about this beast earlier, if you're taking notes, chapter 13. Chapter 13, we learned about this beast. And this beast is inter intimately connected with Satan, the devil. This is the Antichrist who we're talking about here. And so um, we'll see in just a minute that um, it's, a, it's a personal, it's a person, it's a man. It's a, all these personal pronouns will be attached to this beast in just a moment. But I think a number, of couple, a number of things to just kind of point out is that in the last days, the harlot will be connected with the beast, but they are distinct. They're distinct entities, if you will. She's going to get bucked off. Again, she's going to get thrown off and wiped out um, after the Antichrist uses her. After the Antichrist uses her, she's gone, out of here, in order for him to fulfill what he wants to fulfill. And so she'll get used and abused. And so um, verse 4, notice the description of this woman. She's arrayed in purple and scarlet. That's the clothing of royalty. And adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. She's wearing all kinds of the, the expensive jewelry, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And so she's the picture of beauty, isn't she? She's got this outward sense of royalty, of beauty, of, of wealth, but inwardly we know she's rotten to the core. In fact, how do we know that? By what she's offering. She's offering a cup 
And that cup is full of what? Two things. Full of abominations. Abomination means what? That which is disgusting to God. That which is gross to God, which he can't stand. And then number two, filled with what? The filthiness of her fornication. In other words, the things that are gross to God, and not only that, of turning people away from the true and the living God to worship something or someone else other than him. It's spiritual adultery. It's spiritual fornication. And so um, from God's perspective, this is evil, disgusting. From man's perspective, beautiful, amazing. This is wonderful. There's one of many ways I can get to heaven. All I got to do is sign this and do that, and I get to heaven. Yay! All of this. And, and, and there's plenty of religious systems out there that offer a way to get to heaven. And God says all of our righteousnesses are like what? Filthy rags. All of our attempts, all of our efforts to get to heaven on our own, God says that's filthy, that's dirty, that's an abomination. And it's a slap in the face, if I can say that, to our God who sent his only begotten son to die for us on a cross, saying there's any other way but through Jesus Christ who gave his life and rose again. That's an abomination. And so the Lord looks at this and says, this is disgusting. But in admiration, what do people do? They take the cup that she offers and they take it and they keep drinking and drinking and drinking. And I reminded us last week, Jesus has a cup that he offers. And every time we take the Lord's Supper, we take the cup and we're reminded of his forgiveness, of his sacrifice, him giving his life that we might have life. And all of his promises attached to you and to me that he might give us life. She takes life. Jesus gives life and life abundantly. Amen to that? Anybody experience it? Okay. Hallelujah. Look at verse 5. A little more identification we find here on this gal. And on her forehead a name was written. Notice it's in all caps. Mystery Babylon the Great. The mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth mystery means something that was hidden, now revealed um, to us as believers. Babylon the Great. So we find a name for her. Her name is Babylon. Great doesn't mean she's a really great chick. <laughs> it means great in the sense of massive or um, uh, her impact is huge. In fact, she's going to be dominating the last days um, with what she offers. And she has used her leverage for a long time. Look at the next part of that verse. She's the mother of harlots. She's the mother. She's a mom. She's a mom of all. She's birthed many other false religious systems, cults, groups that have, that have also in turn intoxicated all kinds of other people and turned people away from Jesus Christ. Are you with me this morning? You guys still tracking? In other, in other words, spiritual idolatry comes back to her. I'm bringing this up because sometimes people come to me and say, who do you think she is? She's the Roman Catholic Church, right? Anybody heard that? She can't be. She can be a, the Roman Catholic Church can be an offspring. And someone asked me after church, can Roman Catholics be saved? I think there's probably some born again. You need to be born again. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Do I think it's a, a jacked up, perverted, corrupt system? Absolutely. Why? Because they don't teach Jesus alone to get to heaven. So don't get like triggered on me this morning. 
There's Protestant churches that are jacked up too. And it always comes back to what do people do with Jesus? You add or subtract from what he did, you're, you're wrong. Flat out, I'm sorry. And I'll tell that to a little blue-haired lady that looks so cute. So I, you know what I'm saying? She says, oh, no, you can get to heaven this way. No, no, no. I love you, but guess what? No. There's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ. Not your religious efforts. Not your church membership. Not, not even your baptism. Is there some Protestant churches that teach what? You need Jesus plus being baptized. Well, tell that to the thief on the cross. That's a different Bible study. We go off on a little... <laughs> Get back here. But here's the deal. Listen, um, this means that she's much larger than any church, group, institution. When the rapture happens... Guess what? There's going to be a lot of religious people left around. I'm, I'm hoping no one here. <laughs> that mass evacuation happens. We're all together. Whoosh, we're out of here. If not, you can pass to the church. <laughs> somebody, somebody get that later. What? But notice she's not just the mother of all false religion. She's the mother of all, look at the last thing, the fourth thing, the abominations of the earth. You know what that means? She's birthed and brought forth many, many things throughout history that are disgusting to God. Whoa. Remember, I, I shared before, I think there's over at least 500 references in Revelation back to the Old Testament. In fact, we need to know the Old Testament to understand Revelation. If you would, flip to the first book of the Bible with me, Genesis chapter 10, just for a moment. Genesis chapter 10. Because if she's the mother of all harlots, she had to, she had to get, get birth somewhere, didn't she? Herself? Did she have to get birth herself? Yes or no? Yes. Did, come, did, she, did she have to come about some way? In other words, Genesis 10. This is uh, after the earth was cleansed by the flood. Genesis 10, we find the table of nations. Noah had, how many sons did Noah have? Three, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You guys know your Bible, it's awesome. We're going to be introduced to this dude named Nimrod. Remember him? We don't do many. I've never done a baby dedication Nimrod yet. <laughs> we call people Nimrods sometimes, don't we? This is where, where does it come from? Right here. Nimrod was the great-grandson of Noah. Okay? It says in verse 8, Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. So this guy becomes very powerful, very influential. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. You know, you read this and go, wow, that's cool. He's a mighty hunter. And I'm from Texas. I like hunting. This is my kind of guy right here. Got my camo. He's probably, he probably wore camo too, right? It literally means he was a mighty hunter of men's souls. In fact, look what it says in the next part of the verse. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter, 
before the Lord. In the Hebrew, it means in the face of God. So what he's doing is he's going after precious people to follow him and not the Lord. He's a hunter of men's souls. In fact, look what it says in the next verse. And the beginning of his kingdom was, what does it say? Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalni in the land of, what's your Bible say? Shinar, that's Babylon. Now flip forward, Genesis 11. What happened in Shinar? We get a parenthetical break here. The first nine verses of chapter 11. Shinar, Babylon, in between the Euphrates and the Tigris River, the Mesopotamia River Valley, modern-day Iraq is the area we're talking about, the, the cradle of civilization. And notice what it says with me. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. What do they do with that blessing? Oh, you can talk to everybody. How awesome is that? What do they do with that blessing? And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of what Shinar again? Babylon. And they dwelt there. Okay. Then they said to one another, come and notice these plural pronouns. Let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. I'm hoping that we see what this is. This is we read about man's first attempt at a one world government. One world government, a new world order that excluded God, a system of politics and economics and religion that sought to disconnect from God and, check this out, rebel against his word. Who is the system led by? Nimrod, the founder and the king of Babel. We read back in chapter 10, verse 10, ancient Babylon he was a man who hunted souls, propagated a false religious system. It was there, was the Tower of Babel. By the way, Babel means confusion, but it also means gateway to the gods or gateway to God. Stairway to heaven. I don't mean to stir up any bad memories. That's the idea. Because what they were communicating by doing this is what? We're going to get to heaven on our own. We don't need God. We can build, we, we, can, we can get to heaven by our own efforts, by our own works, by our own righteousness. It's all about me, myself, and I. That's the unholy trinity, by the way. Me, myself, and I. The love of self, the worship of self. We can do this. We don't need God. How can you say that, Pastor? What do you mean by that? They have zero respect for God's word and the authority of God. How do we know that? Because what did God command them to do? To populate the earth, be fruitful, and multiply. And they're congregating there in their self-righteous efforts, their self-exaltation, the worship of self. We don't need God. We can do it our way. We don't need to listen to God. And what did God do? Did God respond to that? He broke up that meeting, didn't he? 
And he can, I don't, we don't have time to go, that's a different Bible study. He confounded their languages, and what? They got dispersed all over the earth. Previously, there were no other nations, cultures, and languages, but after that rock pile got broken up, what happened? People migrated around the globe, right? You guys with me still? And what did they export with them? Think about what they exported with them. This religious system, this philosophy, this way of life, this sin was propagated all over the world. It went along with them. It went with them. They never dealt with it. And here's the thing. If you are taking notes this morning, traditionally, um, tradition tells us that Nimrod had a wife. And her name was Simiramis. You guys with me? She went by the queen of heaven. She supposedly had a miraculous birth to a son called Tammuz. Tammuz was not only miraculously conceived, but he was, check this out, he was eaten by a wild animal, killed by a wild animal, and then miraculously came back to life. That sounds like a ripoff, doesn't it? Pastor, you've gone way off the deep end this morning, pal. Do you know that the Queen of Heaven and Tammuz are mentioned in the scriptures? If you're taking note, where? Thank you. <laughs> Queen of Heaven, Jeremiah 7, verse 18. Jeremiah 44, 17 through 21, I think it is, or 20. You can, go, you can read the whole chapter, get the context. Because why am I bringing that up? Because the children of Israel, God's people, God's chosen ones, got involved with the queen of heaven, offering worship to her, weeping for Tammuz and offering worship to Tammuz. Where's Tammuz found in the Bible? Pastor Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 14. You can check it out yourself. Because what happened? Here's what happened. This mother-child cult that began all the way back here, this imagery, this mother-child imagery began to what? Spread globally. And if you study different cultures and religions, there's that uh, 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 mother-child religious system that is propagated all over the planet. Where did it begin? All the way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 10 and 11. And let me just tell you, it is a ripoff. It's a ripoff. It's a ripoff of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was miraculously conceived. It's a ripoff of his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And yet, what happens to people? Oh, that sounds so good. And they're intoxicated. You ever talk to somebody that's in a cult? You ever talk to you guys ever like minister to Mormons? I played baseball Mormons. It was like Stonewall Jackson time. Like, how can you buy into that, dude? I've got people I know. Well, they're involved in religious systems that are so jacked up, so blind. Satan has them blinded, buying into Babylon and what Babylon has offered. They're intoxicated. They'll do anything for their religion. And yet you mentioned Jesus. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, too. You're, you're worshiping the wrong Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Bible, of the, script, of the Holy Scriptures. You got something totally different, man. You can't earn your way to heaven. 
The chasm is far too wide. He's holy. We're not. I'm not. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and you are too. And God knew that, and he provided forgiveness for us by sending his only begotten son because he loves us so much. It's not through your efforts, your works, your traditions, your system, your institution, your group, your membership, or anything else. It is simply a relationship with the true and the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we are familiar. Listen, Babylon, the location, the city, and its prominence eventually began to ebb and flow through history. We know, remember Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians conquered the children of Israel, specifically the southern kingdom. And that place has ebbed and flowed uh, for centuries. Um, but this concept of Babylon, it, it is, she has expressed herself throughout the centuries in many different ways, I believe, uh, especially as a world system that's contrary to God. And so, um, what's the point, Mike? Here's the point. Babylon affects all our lives. I said this last week. Babylon affects all of our lives. Anything, please listen, anything that would seduce you from Jesus Christ, I would say look out. It's alluring, it's seductive, but it's pulling you away from a simple love relationship with Jesus Christ. Danger, danger, get away. Bail out, man. There are lots of Babylons trying to get our attention, trying to get our affection, seductive voices trying to pull us away from the simple, again, the simple love relationship with Jesus Christ. She is a killer. She is a killer. In fact, look at the next verse, back to Revelation 17. She's a killer. You guys still tracking with me? I think it's important to kind of talk about that. John says, I saw the woman drunk. The harlot's intoxicated. What is she intoxicated with? What made her drunk? The blood of the saints with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. What made her drunk? The shed blood of Christians. Those martyred for Jesus, especially during the tribulation period. And she will be connected with the Antichrist for the first half of the tribulation. And her followers will be doing what? Murdering Christians. Because why? Because she and her followers will not tolerate people saying Jesus is the only way. Well, look what it says, that what happened to John. Look at his response. And when I saw her, who's her again? Babylon. When I saw her, the harlot, I marveled with great amazement. John is blown, he's blown away. That's what great amazement means, right? Well, he's scratching his head. What? What is going on here? He's astonished. And, and I've been trying to like wrap my mind around that. John is a guy that knew persecution, didn't he? Did John know persecution, y'all? He was on the Isle of Patmos because of the Roman persecution. Believers were being murdered constantly. He had seen it. He witnessed it. But now he sees this and it blows him away. This beautiful um, woman, this religious system and what she's offering and all that's going on. And he's just like floored. And look at verse, isn't this great? Verse seven. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? Why are you wondering? Why are you so blown away, John? 
Look at this. It gets better. I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and the ten horns. Isn't that good news? Don't be blown away, John. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to help you understand everything you just saw. Is that kind of cool, y'all? Because angels are what? Hebrews chapter 1, ministering spirits, right? Sent forth to minister to who? To those who will inherit salvation. That's beautiful. We got angels, we got angels on our side. How beautiful is that? So this angel, and this, by the way, is tour guide angel. He's taking him everywhere, showing him everything. And now he's going to explain what he just saw to him. Well, let's look at the explanation. Y'all ready for this? Does that sound like a song? Yeah, here we go. <laughs> The, the, the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Clear for everybody? All right. Thank you, tour guide angel. You've cleared it up for me. Clear as mud. Wouldn't you be just like, come on, bro. Well, let's check it out. Verse 8, let's let's just break the beast. That's the Antichrist. We learned about him earlier in chapter 13. This exact scene, what's going to happen. The Antichrist will arise. He will live and he will be killed. Remember what happened? There's an assassination attempt. That happens in the middle of the tribulation. Someone tries to kill the Antichrist. He dies and experiences some kind of resurrection. And the people are blown away. The whole world marvels after the beast. Wow, what a guy. This is amazing. And it says he's connected with the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is the abuso. Remember the, uh, the demons that got cast out of the guy at Gadara, the former demoniac? Y'all remember that? No, Swine Lake. Remember that story? Somebody will get that later. Jesus, the, the demons begged Jesus, don't send us into the abyss. Don't send us into the bottomless pit. Even demons don't want to go to that place. Satan will be locked up during the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ in that abuso. And so the Antichrist is connected with the abuso. But the text tells us a couple of times that he will end up in perdition. What's perdition? Hell. We find out where he's headed. The Antichrist is headed to the lake of fire, perdition, damnation. He's doomed. And then he says something else in that verse. It says those who dwell on the earth, earth dwellers, they, they're going to marvel, right, when they see him. And so when he, that assassination attempt happened, they marveled after him. Earth dwellers are those who reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In contrast 
to those whose citizenship is in heaven. Earth dwellers are those that live for this place, live for the world, live for planet Earth. They dwell here. They live here. Their names are not found in this ancient roster of believers. If you open this special book, their names will not be there. Why? Because they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And so at midway point of the tribulation, they see the Antichrist die, be resurrected. They're blown away. In fact, it went from they were marveling at him, they followed him, and then they worshipped him. That's heavy, isn't it? What you marvel after and follow, you end up worshipping. That's why we need to be blown away by Jesus. To follow the Lamb, to follow Jesus wherever he goes, and to ascribe worth to him in every area of our lives. And so um, if your name is in this book, you know where you're going, you're going to heaven. If your name is not in this book, Revelation 20, 15, those names not found in this book, you'll go to the lake of fire for all eternity. You get your name in this book by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for the forgiveness of sins. And if you've done that, it's cause for rejoicing this morning. Remember when Jesus sent out his guys, Luke 10, short-term mission trip, they come back, they're totally stoked, right? Lord, you would not believe it. Even the demons were subject to us. Y'all remember that? They're like casting out demons in Jesus' name, doing all this cool stuff. They come back, they tell Jesus, and what does Jesus say? Way to go, gang. Remember what he said? Don't rejoice in that, but rejoice that what your names are written in heaven. And you look around what's going on around us today, the news, the headlines, all this stuff. Listen, we have cause for rejoicing this morning. Do you know? Do you, are you guys still rejoicing? That your name's written in heaven? That you belong to Jesus? The best is yet to come for us that belong to him. And so, verse 9, the angel continues to give John insight. The woman is seated. She's sitting in another place. So the text tells us she sits in three places. She sits on the waters, right? You guys remember that from verse 1? She sits on the waters. She sits on the beast. And she also says here, she sits upon the seven mountains. And so this harlot is connected with and exerts her influence over seven mountains. What in the world are these seven mountains? Seven mountains. Listen, in Scripture, mountains can be used as an idiom or a euphemism for kingdoms and empires. That's what I believe this is speaking about. She is connected with kings and kingdoms. We'll see in just a moment her tremendous influence over seven kingdoms or seven world empires. So religious Babylon has been connected with government governments for a long, long time. And isn't that the truth? Religion and politics have been, have been in bed together for years. Well, which seven empires? Which seven kingdoms? How about that question? Are you asking us, Pastor, or are you just going to tell us? <laughs> Listen, I think it's always, I think it's crucial to be reminded that Israel is the epicenter of biblical prophecy. If you take out Israel, your theology is jacked. If you think the church replaced Israel, you're jacked, bro. 
your theology is going to be all messed up. Israel is the epicenter for biblical prophecy. The tribulation is primarily concerning the nation of Israel. So all of what we're studying is in relation to Israel. Biblically, historically, what seven world kingdoms or empires have been linked with Israel? Think about it with me. Let your, not your fingers do the walking. Think back with me. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. <gasps> Starts with R, rhymes with Nome. Rome. That's only six, Pastor. You miscounted. How about the kingdom, the revived Roman Empire that will happen during the last days? Number seven, the prince of the people who are to come or the people of the prince who is to come, rather. Daniel chapter 9 tells us. And so, the seventh will be the revived Roman Empire that will be functioning during the tribulation. In fact, the next verse helps us, doesn't it? There are also, also, seven kings. Along with the kingdoms or empires come... If you have a kingdom, you've got to have a king, don't you? That kind of just... Correct? You've got a kingdom, world empire, you've got to have a ruler. And so... Five have fallen. Which five have fallen? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. That's five down. One that is, who was the one that was existing in John's day? Rome, Caesar, Domitian. And then what does it say? And the other has not yet come. The Again, the revived Roman Empire in the last days. And this kingdom, this king, when he shows up, it's going to be for a sh not very long, a short time. The tribulation is a short time, isn't it? Seven years is not a long time. And I think what's going to happen is the first half of the tribulation, we're going to read in just a moment, the Antichrist is connected with these kings. There's going to be a confederation. But then midway through the tribulation, they hand over all their power and authority to him. And it's a total world dictatorship. In fact, that's what the next verse says. Look at verse 11. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The Antichrist who died and rose again, the one uniquely energized and empowered by Satan, is not only part of the seven kings and seven kingdoms, but he's also the eighth. How's that happen? He will be a part of a whole new different empire, his own empire. At the midway point of the tribulation, he's going to replace Babylon. Babylon, the religious system, gone. She's out of here. We'll see that in just a minute. And he will rise. Remember what he does? He comes into the rebuilt temple, proclaims himself to be God, demands worship. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, you can check it out later. He will control the world economic system with his mark. Correct? Doesn't things change? You guys remember that? Remember the mark thing, 666 deal? Mark of the beast, name of the beast. He will rule over the entire globe as dictator. This final um, eighth kingdom, if you will, eighth king. And until Jesus comes back. Because we're reminded again of the Antichrist future. He's doomed. He's going to perdition. The ten horns, look at verse 12. Let's finish up here. The ten horns which you saw are what? Are ten kings who have received no kingdom... As yet, 
but they receive authority for one hour. Notice this, as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. Why? For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the who? to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled and the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Let's try to break it down, finish it up, wrap it up, nice little bow, drop the mic, do something, get out of here, ready, here we go. Verse 12, the 10 horns represent what? 10 future leaders or rulers who will be coming and will be recipients of a kingdom or an empire together, the Roman, revived Roman Empire. And when John received the revelation, these 10 had not come yet, but they will. These 10 future leaders, look what it says in verse 12, will receive power, jurisdiction, dominion for a short period of time, along with who? The Antichrist. He is part of this crew, this coalition that will be operating together during the first half of the tribulation. Things will change at the midway point. Verse 13, these rulers are on the same page, one mind. They got the same plans, desires, and direction together. They hand over their dominion and jurisdiction to the Antichrist. Verse 13, it says, so the last half of the tribulation, total dictatorship. The Antichrist alone will rule. His kingdom, his empire will totally dominate the globe. And look at verse 14. The, these leaders will try to do what? They're going to try to pick a fight with a lamb. That, listen, that's a fight you're not going to win. And we know there's going to be a demonic deception that will happen. If you're fighting, who's the lamb, by the way? Jesus. Jesus. If you're fighting against Jesus, that's a fight you're not going to win. Today, you've come in here this morning. Like, oh, whatever, man. That's all future stuff. I don't believe half that stuff. Listen, you're fighting against Jesus. You're fighting against him. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do life my way. I don't care what the book says. You're fighting against the lamb. That's a fight you won't win. In fact, look at the next part of that verse. The lamb will overcome them. Why? Because he's the only, one and only Lord and King over all. All power, dominion, and honor is his both now and forever. Amen. And this speaks of Revelation 19, when Jesus the Lamb comes back, because look who's with him. Who's with him? It doesn't say coming for them. Does it? Say come, that's why a post-tribulational rapture is like totally out of it. <laughs> Gone. Jesus comes with, which people? Three things. What did it say? What's the number one thing? Called. Did Jesus call? Did, did you answer? Did Jesus on your heart's door? Did you answer, y'all? I hear you knocking, Lord. Come on in. 
What's the second thing it says? Chosen. Wait a minute. Do I choose or am I chosen? Yes. How does that work out, Pastor? I don't know. The Bible teaches both. The Bible teaches the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Are you with me? It's a mystery. The Bible teaches both. You go on one, you swing to one side or the other, you get jacked up, man. Because the Bible teaches both. I rejoice that I'm chosen. Hallelujah. We're all first round draft picks. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Handpicked. But we still had to choose Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. That involves choice. But it also says, what's the third thing it says? Who's coming with him? The faithful. I find that interesting thrown in there. Are you faithful? I didn't say it. The book says it. I mean, I pray that every one of us, and I pray it all the time, that every one of us here, if this is your home, this is, this is your church home, I pray this for you all the time, that you would hear those words from Jesus' lips, well done, good and faithful servant. If we don't hear those words, our life was wasted. And I'm sorry if that's like heavy, but that's the real, that's the real deal, man. God didn't save us to sit in a pew and sprout whatever comes out of a pew potato. <laughs> it's impossible to serve. It's impossible to be a Christian and not serve and be faithful. Right? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. How can I say I follow Jesus and I don't serve? Like it's an impossibility. And he's given us everything we need. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us, to empower us. He's given us giftings and callings. He's just lavished us with his grace. He's left us here. He rescued us, saved us, and left us here. Why? To further his kingdom, to bring him glory. And it's also a blast serving him. There's nothing like it. It's joy. Let's finish up. What's it say? The great harlot Babylon influences and exerts her dominance over the entire globe. Her influence touches every people group, verse 15. But her influence will come to an end during the tribulation. Look at verse 16. Ten rulers connected with the Antichrist will eventually do what? Turn on her. She's in competition with the Antichrist for the souls of people. So they hate her. They strip her of her treasures, leave her with no clothes, devour her, and burn her up. The mixing of politics and religion comes to an end. They were connected with her. Why? To legitimize what they were doing. Politicians do it all the time. You know that? Politicians use and abuse religion. By and large, let me rephrase that. By and large, politicians, it is their nature to use religion to further their own agenda. Sadly, and make a phony show of righteousness for their own purposes. And then once they get what they want, they don't need it anymore. It's like, see you later. Sadly. And if you are in a position of ministering to those type of people, um, can I encourage you to share the truth and love with them? Please pray for us who do have an opportunity to share with our politicians. 
and to be able to speak into their lives. What's the devil's endgame, though? The Antichrist endgame. Pure, undiluted evil. No loyalty. No loyalty whatsoever. You do a deal with the devil, and what's he going to do? He will use you. He will make you empty, expose you, chew you up, and burn you. The thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, to use your life. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, and life abundantly. The devil hates you. Jesus loves you. Look what it says at the end here. God will be at work in the hearts of these rulers, unifying them together, verse 17, as a team in their purposes, especially handing over the kingdom to the Antichrist. In fact, it tells us that very thing. If you're taking notes, I'm going to read it really quick. Proverbs 21, God's word says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. You know what that tells us? God is in control. Anybody having trouble with their boss? You know, the, the, the heart of the boss is in the king's hand also. God can turn it wherever he wishes. You know, God can change hearts. How are you doing at changing hearts? Can you fix your spouse's heart? Can you fix your spouse? Yes. <laughs> Jesus is in the house. You can, that's forced. <laughs> listen, only Jesus can change a heart. Le- listen, legislation can't change a heart. But Jesus can. And I love what it says as we finish out. I mean, it speaks about the harlot, great city, not only a religious system, great city which rules over the leaders of the planet. But the verse before that, verse 17, it says that this is all going to happen until the words of God are fulfilled. Did you guys catch that? God's word will be fulfilled. I think for some of us, that's a huge, as we finish, a huge consolation and encouragement today. Do you know what that means? God's word will be fulfilled. Not just in in world history and in end times, But God's word, listen, God's word will come to pass in your life and in my life. You know what that means? His word will have the final say in my life and in yours. That's like hallelujah. You know what that means? That means we can take a big, deep L.A. fitness breath. It's going to be okay. Because I think sometimes we feel like, at least I have, I'm going to be the first one to disprove your promise here. Lord, you promised there's more month than money. I'm seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. and Just ain't going to make it. We're going to starve. And what does the Lord do? He shows himself faithful, doesn't he? Has God been faithful in your life? Nothing but faithful. We can say like David, surely goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life. We look back. He's never, listen, he'll never drop the ball on anyone that trusts in him. Even when it seems like it's not going to work out for good, somehow God works it out in Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, whatever language you like to study in. This we know, that he works all things together for good of those that love him. Do you love him today?
The called according to his purposes. We can just, okay, things look jacked up. Things are messed up. Lord, you saved me. You chose me. You called me. I responded to your call. Now I want to walk in faithfulness to your calling upon my life. And what begins to happen? You realize you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's already prepared beforehand. Somewhere in eternity past, God's like, okay, here's the good works all lined out for Jim Bob Johnson and Sally Sue. And boom. And now it's just get in the groove and start walking with him. Start walking, being faithful to say, Lord, here's my life. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. I want to be led by you today. I want my life to make a difference in people's lives. Because then what happens? You turn the focus off of me, myself, and I. And your focus now goes, goes upward and outward. You focus inwardly, you're going to get messed up, man. But you keep your eyes on Jesus, being led by him. He's going to lead you in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake, in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing passage. So difficult, Lord, yet so rich and deep. And God, I pray for my precious brothers and sisters that they would take away the things that have come from your heart, that we would, um, Lord, follow closely after you, to follow your lead, to, to submit ourselves, Lord, afresh this day to your plans, your purposes, your will. Forgive us, Lord, for getting entangled with Babylon. I pray, God, for my precious brothers and sisters, those that perhaps have drifted into that place, flirting or involved with Babylon, that they would come out today and come unto you.